Well, this week we're, uh, this is week two in our series, I Am, and which, by the way, is, um, well, let me say this. There, there are five I Am statements that Jesus Christ made that we're going to be talking about. And there's really two parts to those statements. And we're going to be looking at the second half of every one of those statements where he described himself in a, in a certain way and how he described himself. He answered, in each one of those, he answered uh, one of life's biggest questions that we ask. And so that's what we're looking, that's what we're doing here for these, these five weeks. But the thing that I, I don't want us to miss is when Jesus said, I am, that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And the people listening to him we're all Jewish at that point, and so they knew exactly what he meant when he said that. And he was referring back to the time when, when God had called Moses to go leave the wilderness where he'd been for 40 years and go back to Egypt and deliver the people in Egypt from, from slavery. And Moses, I don't know if you're familiar with the text or not, but Moses just kind of went back and forth with God. He had this conversation with God because he, he didn't really want to go all that much. And so one of the things that he, he, he wanted a good backup. He wanted to make sure he, he could go to Pharaoh and, and, and say, this is who I'm representing. And so he, said, he, he asked God the question. He said, well, who should I say is sending me? And God said, I am. I am. And that's the same, same exactly two words that Jesus Christ used. And, and, and really what God was saying is, tell Pharaoh that God is sending you. The eternal God is sending you. So when Jesus Christ said, I am, and then he added to that in each one of those statements, the first thing he was saying is, I'm God. I'm God. So that was a really big claim that he was making about himself. And then he added to that a second part to it, which made it even, even bigger. Because it answers for us, really, the biggest questions we can ask in life. And we're going to Jeff looked at the first of those questions last week, the question, who's going to guide me? A very important question to ask because who, who you allow to guide you, who you decide to follow, really determines how well life is going to go for you. And, and even beyond that, it determines the final outcome of your life, where you're going to, where you're going to spend all of eternity. And so a pretty, pretty big question, and Jesus answered that question when he said, I'm, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And so it's true. Follow Jesus Christ and it will be life-changing. All for your good and the good and for the good of, of, of people who live in your world, who you who you influence, who you impact. Because not only is it true that, that Jesus Christ is your light, my light, it's also true that Jesus Christ calls each one of us to bring his light into the world in which we live. So I would just say if you, if you were gone last Sunday, we, we want to go online. I encourage you to go online and, and listen to what Jeff talked about last week. Because each one of these sermons builds on the other. And you, you really want to have the complete package as, you, as we talk about all this. So this morning we're going to answer a second question. And just like the first, it's, uh, the answer to the question is life-changing. And, and the question is this, who's going to satisfy me? Who's going to satisfy me? And Jesus answered that question when, when, he, when he made this statement about himself in, in the sixth chapter of John's Gospel where, where he said, he said, I am the bread of life and he who comes to me will never, will never, never, never go hungry. Okay? So, you know, speaking of bread and food and all of that, uh, 
You know, I, I used to, and I think I am still this way, and I think this might have been the reason I thought of this, is whenever I, I go to a restaurant, one of the things that I evaluate, evaluate how good that restaurant is is by the bread that you get. Anybody else that way, you know? Yeah, kind of like if the bread's really good, then you, yeah, this can probably be, be all right. But, you know, you know the, the other thing I thought about <laughs> is, is how the experience that you and I have in a restaurant in some ways has some similarity to what life is, is like for all of us, okay? Let me explain. Has anybody ever eaten at the Cheesecake Factory? Raise your hands if you have, okay? Have you noticed the menu at, at that place? I don't know. It just seems like it's the biggest menu. I've, I, I don't know any other restaurant. that It, it actually has a, it's like a ring, you know, deal with it because it's so thick. And it, it's kind of like a, this little book, you know, and it's got chapters to it. And, 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 and in some ways, it makes it even more difficult, you know, because you've got so many choices to make. And, 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 and let's just say, you know, you, you go there and, and it's, it's, it's like your one time out for the month to eat. You know, whether it's the Cheesecake Factory or maybe even, if you've eaten there before, maybe it's, it might even be like a, a restaurant you've never been to. And, 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 and the stakes get even higher the, the more expensive the restaurant is. And, and so you, you, you sit down and, and, and you might be with a group of people and, and, you, and you get the menu and, and you start looking at it. And then has anybody, you, because you want to do your, your, you know, your due diligence, you want to vet it out really carefully, has anybody ever asked the server, like, what would you recommend? Have you ever done that? Like, like if you were me, what would you eat? Or, or you, know, you, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? If you, yeah. And, and then even ask the people you're with, like, what are you going to get? You know? and, and then you just look that menu over so carefully because, man, you, the thing you want is you want to make sure that you make the right choice. You, know? you want to you order the meal that's going to really satisfy you. Then have you ever had the experience when you finally chose what, what you decided to get? And, and then you, everybody gets their food, and the person sitting right next to you, they, they get this meal, something you didn't order, and it looks really good. It looks a lot better than what you ordered. Have you ever? And, and then, and what makes it even worse is they get into eating the meal, and they keep talking about how good it is as you're thinking about what you ordered isn't all that good. You know, have you ever, you know, I've gone through it more, more than once. See, I think this is, in a way, a picture of life. Life hands us a menu and is full of options that promise satisfaction. And, and, and you ask yourself the question, you know, what, what should I pursue in life? What, what should I give my time and my attention to? What is it that's really going to satisfy me? We go through that. And then sometimes, if we made enough choices that were not all that good... It's so easy to compare ourselves to other people and think to ourselves, well, man, if, if, I, if, if I had what they had, then I'd be satisfied. If, if I had their success, if I, if I had their money, if I had their house, you know, if I had their life, then I'd be satisfied. I think, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I think one of the biggest challenges with this is money, where we just, you know, it's so easy to think if I had a little bit more. A little bit more. If I had a little bit more money, you know? And, and there's this thing we go through, we're never quite content. But you know what the truth is? In fact, Forbes magazine did a study of this. 
And they found out that you reach a certain level and it really doesn't make any difference how much more money you got. Money really doesn't satisfy all that much, you know. It's possible to do this with anything. Where we make something the center of our life and we allow it to determine what we do with our time and our resources, and, and, and we think to ourselves, it's a thing that's going to satisfy. It might be the house we, you know, we, we get, or the car we get, or, or it might be a boat. I mean, there, there's a lot of truth in that thing that you, you know, you, you possess your possessions, but in a certain sense, they can possess you because they, they take so much of your time and so much of your energy. And, it might be pleasure, it might be relationships with other people. I think, I think that's one of the reasons uh, some people spend so much time on Facebook is because their life is all about their relationships and, and they hope that's what's going give to them, give them satisfaction. It might be, it might be prestige, it, 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 you know, it might be success. I mean, you know, there are lots of different things that go like that. Or how about this, have you ever been at a restaurant and you're looking at the menu and you know you shouldn't order a certain thing because you know it's not good for you? You know, especially when they start printing the calorie content and all that kind of stuff. And, but you look at it and you go, oh, you ever done this? Just this once. And you order it and you eat it. And as you're walking out of the restaurant, what are you saying to yourself? Why did I do that? You know, why, you know? But maybe nobody else has ever done that. Okay. All right. You know, it's so easy to do the same thing with the choices we make in life. Easy to stuff ourselves, fill our lives with unwise choices that at the moment are, are appealing and, 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 and for a short time they're satisfying, but in the end they only harm us and they never satisfy for long. You know what, everybody, as much as this world changes, there's some things that don't change all that much. And, you know, I, I think that, that what we're talking about this morning is one of those things, that the choices that you and I make that we think are going to satisfy us, People were making those same choices with the same hope 2,000 plus years ago when Jesus Christ lived on this earth. And what I hope we, we can see today is, is it, from the sixth chapter of John's Gospel is, is, is how Jesus spoke to this in a way that, that, is, that is every bit as true and practical for our lives today as it was for people back then who first heard it. I, I think Jesus Christ was speaking to a crowd of people who were asking themselves the what question. And it might have been that some of them were just beginning to ask that question, and there might have been other people who have been asking it for several years, and there are, I'm guessing there were some people in that crowd who had been asking that question for a lifetime. What's going to satisfy me? The what question? And, and I think Jesus Christ in this chapter is saying to them, you're asking the wrong question, you're missing it. It's not what you should be asking whatever what might be it's it's not what's going to satisfy me but who's going to satisfy me Jesus Christ made an amazing claim in that chapter he 
he pointed to himself and he, he said to all of those people listening to them, he said, I am the bread of life and he who comes to me will never go hungry. And here's what this means for each one of us all these years later, just like it meant for the people back then. It, meant, it means that, that total and lasting satisfaction is found only in Jesus Christ. Only in Jesus Christ. That's a huge claim he made. And he made it to an enormous crowd of people who experienced one of the, one of the greatest and most amazing miracles that he did. And, and interesting enough, it, it all had to do with bread. It all had to do with food. I never get tired of, of thinking about that story and reading it. And John wrote about it in the first 15 verses of that chapter. And I think probably by that time, Jesus Christ had done enough miracles and and enough people had seen him do it that, that those miracles and what Jesus did had just, had just spread out and, 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 and the crowds kept growing and they were getting larger and larger. And, 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 and you read through those Gospels and you, you discover that there were times when, when Jesus Christ just had to get away from the crowds like any famous person does today. And I wondered to myself if this wasn't one of those times. We're told that Jesus got in the boat with his disciples. They were on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and they, they got in a boat, and they crossed to the other side, and they, they walked up into the mountainside. They got alone. They got away from the crowds. I, you know, I, you know it, it was one thing for Jesus Christ to have this constant pushing and shoving of people. I, I think it, it must have been something else for the disciples, maybe a lot, lot more difficult for them to handle. And, and so I try to put myself in their situation, and they cross the boat, they got away from the crowds, and, and they walk up on the side of, of this hillside, because really mountains in, around in Israel, are, they're not really mountains, they're more like very very high hills, big hills. And I wonder, you know, if they got up there, I, 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 I wonder if, the, if those disciples didn't just like right away just sprawl out in the ground, shut their eyes, lay back, and go like, wow, finally we're alone. And then I thought, you know, I wonder if, I wonder if this is how it happened. I, I wonder if Jesus leaned over to Philip and his eyes are shut and he's, He's laying back, you know, it's like, oh, so good. And Jesus says to him, because Jesus was seeing what they weren't seeing, he was seeing the crowds coming around from the other side of the lake and getting closer and closer because people just kept following him. And I wonder if he didn't lean over to Philip and say, you know what, Philip, I wonder how we're going to feed all those people. And Philip said, I mean, I... I wonder if he didn't like just jump up and go like, what people? And Jesus pointing those people. And there they were. I mean, literally, uh, John tells us that there were 5,000 men, but, but biblical scholars say you gotta, you got to add in the women and the children. And so we're probably talking up to 15,000 people. And, and they're all coming around the side of the lake and they're getting closer and closer to the disciples and to Jesus Christ. And, and, then, and then they're all there and they're looking up at the mountain at them and, and it's dinner time. And Jesus being who he is, he's thinking about the hunger these people are feeling. And John tells us that one of the other disciples, uh, Peter's brother Andrew, brings this little boy to him with, 
with a, with a basket that had five loaves of bread, just little loaves of bread and, and two fish. And, and, and Jesus takes those and, and just think what it was for the people in the front row, what it was like for them. Up close with like the disciples and seeing what was going on. Jesus takes those loaves. I mean, I mean, ever since I was a child, I've tried to figure out what that would have looked like. And he starts, he prays, he thanks God for them, and then he begins to multiply them. It's like, and he, he's handing them off to his disciples, and, and they're passing them out to the people. I mean, there must have been quite a deal going on there. And, and he did the same thing with the two fish, and there was so much food. He, he, he didn't just provide what they needed. He provided more than they needed so that there, there were 12 baskets full of food left when it was all said and done. I mean, it's easy to see why the people did what they did. <laughs> in fact, John tells us in, in this uh, sixth chapter in, in verse 15 how Jesus responded to it. I mean... You see, to understand why. Jesus just fed 15,000 people, more than enough to eat. And, and I, would, I would guess that they're standing on their feet and they're cheering and they're getting like, way to go, Jesus. And, then, and, and Jesus Christ knew that, that the next thing that they were going to be saying is that King Jesus, King Jesus. And so John writes in verse 15, I said this, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Boy, you know, we shouldn't miss that because it has a lot to do with what we're talking about today. You see, Jesus had a choice to make right then at that moment. And man, we, we, you know, not for a minute should we think that this wasn't tempting for him. It's like he was back with Satan in the, in the wilderness when Satan tempted him and said, you know, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth if you just bow down and worship me. And it was like, it was like Satan was speaking through the crowds of people again, wanting to crown Jesus Christ and make him king because he could. He could have become king at that moment. And he had the power to do whatever he wanted to do. So that was a real temptation for him. And, and so what did he do? He did what he needed to do so he'd make the right choice he got away by himself with God. And he let God speak to him. He let God help him, guide him, so that he would, he would stick to the plan. He would follow God's will for his life, and he'd make the right choice. Don't forget that. Very important. And so the crowds break up, and, and some of the people leave, and other people stay, and evening comes, and the disciples get into a boat, and they go back across the lake again. They go back north, and, and it's, in the, it's in the middle of the night, and there's a storm, and, and Jesus comes walking out to them on, on the water, and he gets into the boat, and suddenly the boat's on the other side of the lake. I mean, that's like an experience in itself. And so now it's the next day, and they're all on the other side of the lake, Jesus and his 12 disciples. And guess who's coming for breakfast? Now, guess who's coming for breakfast? I just love this. John writes, beginning in verse 25, and here's our text for this morning. It said, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? In other words, how'd you do this? How'd you get over here? You know, what, what I think was really going on with them, they were just a little bit irritated. They were a little bit ticked off. Like, why did you leave us? 
And Jesus answered. He said, I tell you the truth. Here, here's the deal, he said. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He said, he said it's not because you, you saw me do this miracle where I fed 15,000 of you, thousands of people fed, and, and you asked yourself the who question. Who is this? He said, you're still asking the what question. What's going to satisfy me? You're, you're still thinking about food for your stomach. You're thinking about your next meal. And then he said this. He said, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And then they asked him, well, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And and Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so they asked him, well, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe, believe you? What will you do? I, I read that and I, and I can't help but ask myself the question, what did he just do? I mean, wasn't it just a miracle that he did? What, what more do they need to see? And, and of course, they've seen miracle upon miracle, people healed of all kinds of diseases. And So why are they even saying this? Well, we know why in the next verse. They said, you see, they're still thinking about their next meal. Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who's giving you the bread from heaven, but it, it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus Christ is saying, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the what question. It's the who question you should be asking. And it's like they weren't even listening to him. Because they go right back to the what question. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. They're, they're still thinking about bread for their stomach. Literal bread to eat. They're thinking about their next meal. And then Jesus declared... He said, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Okay, let's unpack this, okay, what it means for us today. There's this crowd of people. They're in the presence of the eternal Son of God, who can satisfy their deepest and their greatest hunger. The hunger of their soul for a relationship with the God who created them. The hunger of their soul for a life of, of purpose and fulfillment and joy. All of that. And all they can see, all they can focus on is the next meal that they can have to satisfy this momentary hunger in their stomach. You know, you know everybody, I, I think this is a description of, of life for so many people in our world today. Those people back then were asking the question people are still asking today, and, and, and you might be asking that question yourself, and the question is this, what's going to satisfy me? What is it really that's going to satisfy me? 
And if you're asking that question, Jesus is pleading with you as, as he did with each person in that crowd. To, he's asking you to, to take a step back and, and, and understand that you've been asking the wrong question. Instead of asking yourself, what's going to satisfy me? You need to ask yourself the question, who's going to satisfy me? Because what was true then is equally true today. Total and lasting satisfaction is found only in Jesus. See, he alone can satisfy your deepest and greatest need. Jesus Christ alone can, can satisfy the hunger of your soul to have a relationship with God Almighty because Jesus went to the cross to die for you. And Jesus Christ can satisfy the hunger of your soul for a life of purpose and, and fulfillment and joy because as you give your life to what Jesus gave his life to, that's what you'll have. This is all, what he, all of what he meant when he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. You know, I really do believe that in the crowd that day, there were people of all ages listening to Jesus speak. I think there were some really young people. There were children in that crowd. There, you know, there, there, were, there were young people the age of middle school students and high school students. And, I mean, you just go all the way up 20s and 30s and all the way across to the, to the oldest person in the crowd that day. Here's my concern this morning for us as a crowd. Let's say you're at the younger end of life, high school, college, your 20s or 30s. You know, I think it's so easy to, to agree with what Jesus said about himself, that, that, he's, that he's the bread of life, that, that, that total and lasting satisfaction is only found in him. It's, it's so easy to agree with that but also to have this other stuff in your life that's got your attention. And right now, you're not willing to give up the priority that it's got in your life, and you, you, you still want the satisfaction that you're getting from that stuff. So much so that you're putting it front and center in your life. And, and it's like you're keeping Jesus off to the side. It's, it's like you've created your own life menu and, and, and you're keeping Jesus in it, but you're just not choosing him. You don't doubt what Jesus is saying about himself, but you, you've decided to delay all of that, all of what he offers you to, to a later point in your life until you've got all the satisfaction you want out of this other stuff. You know, it, it's like you want to try everything else on the menu before you try Jesus Christ. Before giving your life to what he gave his life for, you know. And, and you see, the, the problem with this, is it's so easy to keep pushing later back, later, later, later. And before you know it, you've, you've wasted a whole lot of years, if not a lifetime, stuffing yourself with things that leave you spiritually malnourished and, and, and really that have little eternal value. And it's one thing if you do this to yourself. But you know, it becomes even more tragic because you influence the people around you. And I mean, it, it, 
the choices you make impact the choices that other people are going to make. And, and I think of, I mean, we, do it, we could do it to our friends. We could do it to our fellow believers. We could do it to our husband or wife if we're married. And, 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 and worst case of all, if you're a parent, you could do it to your children. Because you know what? Your children watch you more than, you know, they learn from you more by what you do than by what you say. You know, they watch you, the choices that you make in life. And every choice you make in life tells your children what you value. And, and the thing about it, everybody, that we just can't miss is you only get one shot at this. You, you, only, you, you, you can't take a day back. You can't take a year back. You have only one life to live, and that's it. And I remember, I remember when I was in my 20s and 30s, and and you think you think to yourself, "Well, I've got a lot of I've got a lot of life left to live." Interesting thing about life, you know, it doesn't take long in your your 40s, in your 50s. In fact, I there's a few of you here in the crowd, and not very many because we were so you know we were just a handful of us when we started. But there there's a few of you out here in the audience that. You, you grew up with my kids, and I'm just really enjoying it right now because you're almost 40. You know, this is fun, you know, like you're, you've got less hair than me, some of you out there that grew up with my kids, you know. There's sweet revenge, you know, in this thing. You know what, you know what's so interesting about life? It doesn't take long in your, you're in your 40s in your 50s, but you know what? It, it takes even less time in your, in, your, you're in your 50s and 60s and 70s. I mean, I know this. I'm 62, and I can't believe, like, where did the years go, you know? And, and don't misunderstand me. You, you can begin making the right choices in your 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s, and, and, and you should make the right choices no matter how old you are. Absolutely you should. Life's not over until it's over. But it's so much better to make those choices when you're young. Because every year that passes where you're making the wrong choices, is, it's a wasted year. It's a wasted year. And the longer you wait, friends, I can tell you this, the longer you wait, it doesn't become easier to make the right choices. It becomes more challenging. So, what am I asking you to do this morning to really make this something we can take further than just here today? Here's what I'm hoping you do. Here's what I'm hoping you do. I mean, even do this. Buy yourself a journal for 2014. Okay, well, you're so on. Oh, no, this journal deal again. We keep hearing about the journal. Okay, if you, you know, if you don't want to do a journal, just write it down somewhere, okay? But, boy, I wish you'd get a journal for 2014, okay? And write this at the top on the first page. Total and lasting satisfaction is found only in Jesus. Okay, just write that down right now in a bulletin, okay? And take it home with you. Total and lasting satisfaction is found only in Jesus. And then you might even write this down. Only Jesus Christ can satisfy my deepest and greatest need. 
Only Jesus Christ can satisfy the hunger of my soul for a relationship with the God who created me. Only Jesus Christ can satisfy the hunger of my soul for a life of purpose and fulfillment and joy. Okay? And then do this, okay? Make the decision to take Jesus Christ into the very center of who you are. Decide that Jesus Christ is no longer the last choice on your menu. Decide that he's no longer an option among many other options, but he's your first choice, and he determines every other choice you make for your life. Let me say it this way. In 2014 and the rest of your life, don't settle for being your best at what doesn't satisfy and what doesn't last? And, and don't settle for being mediocre at what totally satisfies and what lasts forever. So here's what you need to do to make this happen, okay? To really make this happen. Not only is it true that life is like a menu, it's also true that every day is like a menu where you choose to do what you value the most. And, and you know what, everybody? I don't know if you've noticed it, but we all have the same hours in every day. It's what we choose to do with those hours that makes all the difference. And I'm convinced, I'm, I mean, if I could sit down with each one of you and have a one-on-one -on -one hour conversation where I could convince you of this, I'd, I'd do it. See, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that there's one choice that we all have to make each and every day for Jesus Christ, for us to make Jesus Christ the first choice in our life, and it's this. It's choosing to take the time to read God's Word, to read the Bible. Honestly, everybody, I could stand up here every single Sunday and, and, and preach till I'm blue in the face, and if you're not studying God's word every day, what I say up here would only go so far. It'll just make all the difference in the world. You see, Jesus Christ said that he's the bread of life and that whoever comes to him will never go hungry. And this means that in the same way that, that you take a piece of bread and you eat it and it becomes part of who you are, in the same way you allow the truth of who Jesus Christ is, his, his love for God and his love for people, his righteousness, everything that is true of his character, you let that become an integral part of who you are. That's what, that's what he's talking about. But friends, this will only happen it will only happen as you feed yourself daily with the truth of God's word because that is our bread. That is our bread. So, right now, before the end of this year and, and, and 2014 begins, I'd like you to choose to make, I plead with you, to choose to make this number, your number one priority for every day where, where you're not making any excuses whatsoever. And I tell you what, do it, and I'll guarantee you, you'll experience the truth of what Jesus meant when he said he's the bread of life. You'll experience that in a way like you've never experienced it before. Total satisfaction. 
total joy, total fulfillment in your life. Let's pray. Father, I, um, I think without doubt, everything Jesus said in describing himself, where he began with the statement, I am, everything he said has life-changing potential for every one of us in this room today. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit will strengthen us and help us believe him with all of our heart when he said, I am the bread of life and he who comes to me will never, never go hungry. In Christ's name, amen.